if by chance you've been waiting the entire season for me to bring up my vibrator while talking about my mother, then, well, this is the episode for you. Welcome to the season finale of the second season of I Swear on My Mother's Grave podcast. Yay, the crowd goes wild. Thanks for being here. Happy holidays. And yeah, welcome. So this is it, friends. This is the end of 2022 and the end of season two. Ah, we did it. We did it. I hope you can get some rest, celebrate the year's wins, get out into nature, maybe get a massage and just cozy up this holiday season. I will be saying it again at the end of the episode, but I just wanted to take a minute right now and truly thank you all for listening and supporting and loving this podcast. When you reach out to me via email or social media messages or texts, or even send me voice memos off of our website, letting me know how each episode affected you and telling me your personal stories with grief or loss or estrangement, it sounds cliche, but it is 100% true that it means a lot to me. I really like getting messages. And the truth is it keeps me going because it can be really lonely for podcasters to talk into a mic by ourselves in our closets, sometimes not wearing pants, or maybe that's just me. So when we hear from the people who are actually consuming the content we're making, it means the world to us and to me. So please keep it coming and keep telling others why the show is important to you and posting about it and shouting it out to all your friends because it helps more and more people find this podcast in a sea of millions of shows right now. I promise you that the word of mouth is really important. So thank you. You're all amazing for being here and for supporting my little show. I swear in my mother's grave. So thank you. And now back to our final episode of season two. Do you believe that someone can love more than one person during their lifetime? Do you ever wonder what your parents' sexual history or their desires are? Are you curious about how to talk to your own young daughters about intimacy and sex and pleasure? Are you craving hearing a guest play guitar during a podcast interview? Well, then great. We have the conversation for you. Corey Goodrich is my friend and an actor, a singer, a musician, a songwriter, a painter, a mother. She does it all. And she's also the writer of a poignantly funny, forgiving, warm, and honest memoir called Folk Song, a ballad of death, discovery, and DNA. There's a link in our show notes, so go buy it because it's awesome. Corey seemed to always be curious about whether or not the man who raised her was her actual biological father. And after her mother died, she found letters and a photograph that proved her greatest fears. In her memoir, Corey writes, He asks me about my sexuality, about my thoughts on monogamy and adultery. And I don't give him a straight answer. Like my mother, I have things to erase. I am not a bastard. I am a love child. I am their child, born and shaped by their love. This is Corey Goodrich. I asked her once when I was, when we were in a fight, when I was in my early 20s, and she got, we were fighting, and I said, is Daddy even my father? And Corey! (laughs) And and, uh, she just kind of shut it down and got really upset. 
So again, did I know and just didn't accept it? I knew there was something. Hmm. I In those last days before she died, I'm at the house in Arizona, and she's quiet, and she's in her bedroom, kind of huddled up in her sweater, and there's something she wants to say. I can feel it, but I can't ask the question of mm-hmm. her, you know? Because, A, I didn't want to upset her, because she was always volatile. I don't really like that word. She's She wasn't a screamer, but you could upset her very mm-hmm. easily, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to upset her before the surgery. Mm-hmm. But then I think... And have her, like, kids. shut you out, and you don't want her to, like... Yeah. Shut you out or be resentful of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think she also didn't want to say anything because she needed me. Yeah. And yeah. She didn't know what that response would be. But then she tells the story about uh, the Don, my biological father's wife, coming to the house. Well, she told me that story right out, but just kind of neglected the whole, oh, yeah, he's your dad part. Yeah. Tell me that again. So we're in the car. Before her surgery, we have to go buy a nightgown for her, a robe, rather. And uh, there's this question that I've asked over and over and over again all throughout my life, which is, why why did you and Daddy get divorced? And I would never get an answer to it. She would kind of gloss over it or give me... But I knew that there was something. And I stopped asking the question about the time my children were born because I wanted things to be calmer. I just couldn't fight with her anymore. So I know she's about to have surgery. I know that there's a possibility she's going to die during surgery, and uh, we're in the car, and I'm driving, which I also remember being really strange because you don't drive your parents. Your parents drive you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm driving her car, and uh, I say, well, why did you and Daddy get divorced? One last time, I think. Maybe Mm -hmm. she'll tell me. And then she says, well, I had an affair. You knew that, Corey. And I'm driving Mm -hmm. (laughs) in Green Valley where people only drive 20 miles an hour. (laughs) But I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I sort of knew that. But I didn't know because she'd ever told me. I knew because I suspected, right? And because I have some memories of being young and and in a hotel room. And uh, she said, yeah, well, his uh, wife came to the house, and she was very well-dressed and very polite, and I was very impressed with her. And Mm -hmm. she asked me not to take her husband. And I'm driving, and my eyes are all bugged out, and I'm like, well, so what did you do? She's like, "I, I left him alone. And that was it. Like, why did I not ask any further? Mm. Because I probably didn't really want to know, mm-hmm. you know. But that's all she gave me, too. So it's the truth, but it's not the entire truth. It's just this select little slice. And then you just show up at the hospital and you were like, all right, that's it. Yeah. yeah. We never went anywhere. We just parked and, mm-hmm. yep, yep. and never circled back. Yeah. No. I wanted to talk about your mom loving maybe two people mm-hmm. or multiple people because I know that's something you and I have talked about. And the shame of feeling like the shame around infidelity mm-hmm. and the shame around uh, it's being her fault as a woman mm-hmm. and that that still carries to today. And it's not like that's just like back then that's us. we've grown as a society and we we. We are a little more accepting, but especially back then, Mm -hmm. the feeling of I had an affair and then I can't possibly forgive myself and I can't possibly tell my child and I can't admit it. And she came from a really like, not when she was married to Tom, right? It was a affluent, pretty, everybody's talking to each other and everybody's knowing everybody's business and right. Yeah. And the the shame of that would have been 
too much, right? Or I can only imagine. We can only speak. Yeah. She's not here. Mm-hmm. And then you inheriting that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. feeling of shame and then going out and sexuality and women. Take it away. No. Okay, <laughs> Hit it. The curse of being. <laughs> yeah. Um. How's it going for you? <laughs> well, I got good boobs. So, you know. Um. <laughs> she does, folks. <laughs> I can't come down on infidelity. And this is going to make me unpopular. This is an unpopular opinion I hold. I cannot come on, come down on infidel. God, I can't say it. I can't come down on infidelity because I am a product mm. of an affair. So my view on so you it, judging others or looking down or which I never did before either. I <laughs> speaking of the dressing rooms, I was always the one in the dressing room going, "You don't know the full story and don't judge." And yeah, yeah, um, yeah. When people were yeah gossiping yeah. or yeah. talking about stuff, yeah. So. I kind of put myself in my mother's shoes. So a lot of these things are just me supposing that the community was coming down on her. Mm-hmm. Um, in the book, the person who's renamed Ivy, who is my childhood friend, told me after I made the discovery that everybody in town knew that she was uh, a slut. And it's still it's so hard to even say that. So How old says, were you when you heard that? That was a few years ago mm-hmm. because this was I reached out to her yeah. to find out if she knew. Mm-hmm. And she had heard. Yeah. My friend yeah. heard when I was seven. She's known my whole life. That, but she's uh, telling you this as a grown woman. Yeah. Do you what do you what did you feel? Do you remember how you felt or where you were sitting or when that when you heard that sentence? Yeah. So I oh very clearly. I was in rehearsal for um Steel Magnolias, actually. Mm. I all of a sudden, like with so many instances around this, all of a sudden I just go, Oh, and you know something, mm. right? So I had that experience and thought, Ivy knew. And so I reached out to her on Facebook and said, what do you know about uh, my dad? And mm. she wrote back, I don't know who your real father is. Mm. In Facebook Messenger. Yes. And so I'm like, So oh. she's saying she there is a real father, but she doesn't know who it is. So it's like the lo- most loaded. Yep. Whoa. And I, so I called her, and I haven't spoken to her in probably 20 years, really. She's your mom's age? No, she's my age. Your age, got yeah. it. Sorry. We were, she was like my only friend. Childhood friend, right, yeah. right, got it. So I called her, and she says she doesn't know who my real father is. Everybody knew. She said my mom was, was a slut. I hate that word, although and I, I said at the time, I'm like, hey, you have a history, too, in of being loose. Um but why is it different? Mm-hmm. She always had so much judgment against my mother. She hated my mother. And I never knew why. It caused mm-hmm. so much problems between us when we were growing up. And now I know why. Because she knew that and was putting that judgment on her. Uh, now, this is a good But is she more mad about the infidelity or more mad that she didn't tell her child that her father is somebody different? Those are two <laughs> questions, right? It's like, yeah. is she mad that she cheated or is she just mad that she's holding the secret? My dad, Tom... He was sort of a collector of lost things. Obviously, I am one of those things, mm-hmm. but Ivy was one of those things, too. She she sort of was a wild kid, and he took her in and really cared for her, even after mm. I was in Michigan. So I think she was loyal to him. I don't uh, know that she cared about whether or not my mom told me, because she really loved my dad. <laughs> so, but... To the point of being a wild woman or a slut, or as you will. Why? There are two people 
involved in this. There's, in this instance, mm-hmm. there's a man and there's a woman. There's two people who are committing who are both married. Who are both married, but it's always the woman who gets the the backlash from it. Mm-hmm. And that infuriates me. Also, <laughs> here's the other unpopular opinion that I hold. I think we are capable of loving more than one person. I have two children. I don't love one more than the other. When I had my second child, I didn't say, oh, my God, I'm not going to be able to love her. I already love this. Right. We have infinite Mm. capacity for love. We as actors, especially, we understand that. We go out on stage and I would fall in love eight times a week in front of a thousand (laughs) people, but still come home and love my husband. husband. Yeah, yeah. So and we get different things from people, right? Which everybody mm-hmm. talks about. I don't get everything from my husband now. I don't get everything from that one friend. Right. I get what I need from other people. Yeah. But then it's like, well, then why get married, right? Then the question of making that oath, you know, that feeling mm-hmm. of maybe your mom did it to be traditional and felt she needed the legality of mm-hmm. being married, but if she didn't need all that, she could have just been single and moved around to different lovers or do you think mm-hmm. she felt she needed that stability no i think she needed that stability yeah. I think culturally and culturally and yeah. even so i mean yeah. even today even with people who are poly yeah they have primary partners right and because there is a security and stability and love and sexual attraction or whatever yeah. but but and you're raising children and you're yeah yes. building a home together and yeah so there is but but there is that social construct and i used to ask her Years later, when when she was in her third marriage, why don't you leave? And she was unhappy. Mm -hmm. And uh, (laughs) she said, well, he vacuums and he lets me buy whatever I want. I mean, but but that's not the point. The point was. She has a point. Uh, (laughs) Vacuuming, come on. But you need that structure. You need that stability. And you do get something out of it, Mm -hmm. even if you have attractions to other people. Do you wonder about her, like, having other lovers? Is that something that you've thought about over the years? I have differing accounts of whether that is true. I can validate nothing, so Mm -hmm. I can't really speak to it. I don't really have any information. I'm pretty sure that uh, I have this great photo of my mother standing in between her first husband, Tommy Hyatt, and her soon-to-be second husband, Tom Goodrich. Mm -hmm. I forgot that. She loved her toms. But that relationship might have started from an affair. I don't know. I mean. Yeah. I don't know. But to look back at this woman who was born in 1927, she was a rebel badass. Gorgeous. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that until after she died. She knew she was a looker and Mm -hmm. beautiful. I know she had siblings and. They, d- they danced together, right? They sang and right. They're like a Julie Andrews. Yeah. Not Julie Andrews. Andrews sister. A- Andrews oh my sisters, God. yeah. <laughs> I need some more coffee. Type group. Yeah. That they sang together. So, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I also think, too, of the fact that she lost her father when she was in her preteens. Mm-hmm. And what does that do to a person when you're seeking out the approval of a man that's like a father figure? Mm-hmm. And Tom was uh, 17 years older than she was. Hmm. Um, so I wonder if there's that, yeah. trying to get that approval. And also that because she didn't have that, because she didn't grow up with a father, maybe she didn't think that it was so unusual. Oh, We kind it, of do to our kids what has been done to us. Mm-hmm. It's sort of that that generational trauma that keeps going and... I mean, I don't think that was a conscious thing mm-hmm. on her behalf, but maybe that 
went into it. Did she talk about him with you? Her dad? Yeah. Never. Never. I tried. I tried to get information. The only thing she told me was that he died of acute pancreatitis. Mm. Or is it pancreas? Or Yes, his pancreas burst, and he didn't go to the hospital because he's a man. <laughs> and then he ended up dying. Yeah, that, later. that would that would happen if your mm-hmm. pancreas explodes. But she was young. I wow. mean, and then think about three young girls because mm-hmm. her two sisters were younger than her, and her mother, who was super super smart, mm-hmm. but really couldn't get a job in in that time. Mm-hmm. I think how difficult that must have been. So her mother pushed the three of them into show business, and I think there may have been some. Shady dealings. She mentioned one time that uh, she was in Miss was it Miss Delaware or Miss Pennsylvania. I can't remember which one, but they basically told her you can win this competition if you sleep with this judge. She told me this, and she never told me what happened. Or no, she did say she dropped out. And what did she did she consider it for a second? Did she? Did she I just say know. no right away? I think she just said no. Yeah. But I think maybe that went into this dislike of her mother because maybe her mother mm-hmm. kind of, excuse the expression, pimped her out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, though. I mean... <laughs> yeah. Don't you... I always want to, like... I've been thinking lately about, like, what my mom's... I'm going to do it. Yeah, it's my show. It. No, like, my mom's sexual, like, kinks. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This is my favorite. Here topic. we go. Here we go. Hey, the show's cooking now. <laughs> I do. Sometimes I think about, like, what got her excited. Or how she got off or, right? Like, Mm -hmm. did she masturbate? Did she? These are things I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. But sometimes like when you you masturbate really hard sometimes and you start crying, Mm -hmm. like really big emotions come up Mm -hmm. and it's this release and it's really intense. And I wonder. I've scared many men away from it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just talking about being alone. That's interesting. Right. If someone was in front of me. But those feelings that come Mm -hmm. up and I, I just have a feeling my mom. I don't know. I wonder. And I'm not going to, I can't ask her now. But I think I would, if she was alive and I had this show and I was this ballsy now and I was this open and honest with people, I Mm -hmm. would probably be like, can we talk about sex? I mean, we talked about sex when I was a kid because my mom's a biology teacher. So we talked about sex and I've had abortion. I talked about, but I didn't get into details. I'm Mm -hmm. saying now as an adult, I wonder if I could say, mom, did this ever hurt? Or Mm -hmm. were you into Mm -hmm. women? Were you, did you like or play? You know, I don't even do you wonder that stuff? Like, okay. or where you get your, okay, how, I mean, Corey, you do what you need to do. You say what you need to say. Oh, get me into trouble, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be so personal. I don't need you to tell me everything. I just mean, you tell me what you want to tell me. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder what is inherited sometimes mm-hmm. is what I'm mm-hmm. saying. Um, mm-hmm. Even my dad, like, he, did he have, I have a really active imagination. I don't know. Like, where does that come from? So, okay, so a couple of things. And we're sober, folks. We're sober. <laughs> For now. So when I was a teenager, oh. mm, 16, I had a boyfriend in Delaware, and I went back to Michigan, and he had written me some racy letters. Yeah. Um, she found them. She didn't just come across them. She went into my room and went through my drawer and read the letter and just tore everything apart. And For real? Oh, yeah. Uh, she was She was furious. Why? Uh, because she was scared of what was going to happen. Um, we actually didn't have sex. We oh, she was more did. like, you're too young. I don't know why this is happening. Yeah. You mean, yeah. 
I mean, that in itself, the, the almost the irony sex story is really funny. But, <laughs> but the irony wow. of also like going into your business, finding your stuff. Oh, my God. When she had secrets for. I didn't even think about that. You're absolutely right. Well, that's what I'm here for. Mm -hmm. I paid all of the big bucks to have a show where I make no money. And I tell you what I observe. No, I'll right? give you my copay. So she goes into my room. She finds this letter. She tears it apart and makes me clean it up afterwards. Yeah. The injustice of that, I will never forget. Like, you made this mess. <laughs> clean it up. But, but she said something that I will never forget, which is, she said, I don't know why you're so in, into sex. It's not that good anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think about that all the time because oh. I wonder if sex was not ever good so for her. So good for her. Wasn't good for her with uh, her partner, uh -huh, or uh, uh -huh. but that made me really sad. Or was there only one person that it was really good with? Yeah. And is that your biological dad? Is that some guy she met when she was in her teens? Is that somebody later? In her so there's some mystery for me about. I, I guess I can say this because they're everybody's dead, but Tom, my dad, had stacks and stacks and stacks of Playboys um, everywhere, and he had. <laughs> He had, like, pictures of naked women, just hidden places. Sure. There was a mirror out in his workshop that if you flipped around the mirror, there was a naked woman there. <laughs> and there were these little viewfinder things. You remember those little things oh, you yeah. look through? And yeah. There were naked women. Like, uh, so wow. he's kind of a Randy Randy perv there. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and since I never heard what happened between them, I was like, did something happen there? Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know that I could ask her. I think I've only had my sexual my sexual revolution of as of late. So yeah. I mean maybe I could now, but oh my God, thinking about talking about sex with my mother, I don't know if I could do it. No? Do you talk about it with your kids? Because yes. you're pretty open yeah, because you are pretty open. Not yeah. with everything, but I mean you're you don't want secrets really. You yeah. don't want you want them to be raised as strong, mm -hmm. independent women or however they choose to identify yeah. in their later life. But that you said like we're gonna tell you mm -hmm stuff and as, yeah far as i'm concerned the generational curse stops here okay i don't want them to live that i i want them to be open about sex i want them to feel free to explore whatever the heck they want to safely mm -hmm. and safely. that's yes. also why this what's happening in our country right now is horrifying yeah. because we're pushing women back a hundred years no i think it's important and i think there's part of their sex lives that are not my business, as my sex life is not their business. And first of all, no kid on the on earth wants to think about their parents having sex anyway, <laughs> except for us. Apparently. Yeah, I guess for, I guess for me, yeah, this, I'm a freak on a Saturday who wants to think about it. No, I just want to know, like, there's a certain vibrator that my mom used for her feet. It's like a massager for your feet uh -huh. in your back. OK, uh huh. this massager can also be used other places because i own it and most of my friends know this about me it's like this wand it's like dr schultz now she my mom had this in her little back room plugged into the wall and i'm sure she used it on her back and her feet maybe elsewhere but the point is i got a hold of it uh -huh. in my eight teens and used it other places because it's just a, mm -hmm. yeah. it sits on the outside you yeah. get it yep okay and this wand i it's a helpful thing and I wonder what my mom used it for. Mm -hmm. And I hope she did have release or I'm sad that maybe she didn't, you know, like mm -hmm. especially when yep. she got sicker and then was going through a divorce, like maybe all that pent up sexual energy, which mm -hmm. can happen as well. Or she's that none of that is it's, it's like a toxin sitting inside right. her as well. Right. Right. 
but maybe she had really great sex for a long time. And the, I don't know. I have, I have two stories. I always have a story about something. I love it. Well, the reason I made that reaction is because I just remembered that my mom and dad had a back vibrator uh-huh. that, that they would. I'm like, oh, duh. <laughs> How did I not see Wait, that? Like a, a chair? Uh, no, no, like a, a thing that you put on your hand, a strap oh, on yes, your hand. Oh, yes, and then or, you rub. Yeah. Uh-huh. You could rub that lots of places. Yes. Sure. Like, never. That never. Maybe just on me. the back. I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> but, okay, so I did a show. I did Meet Me in St. Louis. And we were, I was the mom, and, and uh, at one point in the show, I wanted to give my husband a very passionate kiss. And the actor who was playing opposite me said, oh, no, that, that wouldn't happen back in this time. And my thought mm. was, people have been having what is, sex for Yes, what is the time, like 50s, 40s? 18, what, turn of the century. It was oh, 1911, oh, actually, okay. around there. And my thought was, no, no. people were sexual back then, too. It, All, know, yeah, for I, years and years and centuries. Yeah. So why wouldn't our mothers be? And that is something that I want to do. It's just like they do. say there's no trans people ever. And you're like, please, they they would be, they here were here before us. Forever. Like, please, mm-hmm. like for yep. <laughs> beginning of time. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So, sorry, I cut you off. No, it's okay. Um, just, but I think it's important to see our mothers as women because they were teenagers and rebellious and doing all the things that we think only we do, but they did too. And yeah. it gave me a great amount of compassion and empathy for her. One of the things that strikes me about my situation is how angry everyone is at my mom. <laughs> and I'm probably the only one who isn't mad at her. Because, and I don't know if it's because I'm an actress and because I can kind of put myself in her shoes and do that, or because I understand, because maybe I've inherited a lot of the same things and feelings. Um, I'm not mad at her, and mm-hmm. obviously I'm here because of it. But she was a human being. People fall in love, people, for a variety of reasons, for sexual attraction, because they're not getting something in their own marriage, because they need more sex or less yep. sex or whatever. And we are all humans, and we are all, I, I don't want to say fallible, because I don't think it's a mistake either. We have emotions, we have needs, and um, how we get them is our own damn business. So, yeah. I don't know if any of that made sense. Oh, made a lot of sense. So with your kids and like, mm-hmm. and this new world of of Roe versus Wade, and you mm-hmm. referenced reproductive justice mm-hmm. and raising them to go live their lives, but be safe and find love or find relationship or however mm-hmm. they find it, and it doesn't have to be sexual. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you right. how do you talk to them? Like, what advice would you give other parents who are trying to let their children, like, you want them to be free and and love their bodies and love themselves, but also be safe and be able to come to you with problems like how I don't have kids if your child came to you and said I'm having sex Mm -hmm. I'm want to be safe about it what do I do I would provide condoms lube vibrator tell them that uh, their sexual happiness depends on themselves they Mm -hmm. need to know their own bodies uh, before they can have sex with somebody else. because And that's something that I was not taught. It's something I'm sure our mothers were not taught. But why are we hiding? This Sex is a beautiful thing and is to be enjoyed. It's not just for procreation. If it was just for procreation, it wouldn't feel good, right? Mm-hmm. So, And for women, I think we're taught to put other people's pleasure and needs ahead of our own. And so I would say to them, take care of business for yourself first. And there's nothing to be ashamed of about sex in any variety, any way, shape, or form, because it's that shame 
that got us in this whole mess to begin with. It's, I think, the problems in the country right now are repression focused outwards. So people who have the shame and the repression about sex are then going to make other people, outside people, feel bad about it, feel the LGBTQ plus community, women who want to have abortions. Everyone is trying to say that sex is bad because they were taught that or they feel that. And I don't know. I guess I think if we were all having beautiful, loving sex without shame, we wouldn't have half the problems we have in this country or in the world. It is beautiful and it is meant to be enjoyed and shared. And I hope that my daughters will live that for themselves. I don't want them to feel embarrassed about their bodies. Um, that's another thing we get as women, right? Size. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. thankfully, I think we're coming into a period where we're, that is yes. changing. But my But God. to be small was mm -hmm. everything to my grandma. Yeah. To be small and even my mom, but more my grandma, like that generation of small, yep. how you look, the mm -hmm. appearances. I talk about it a lot. Yep. So and even my wedding, I'm, I know that she thought I was beautiful, but I'm sure she also wished I w was smaller. Somewhere in her subconscious, she was probably like, oh, she's, she's larger than I was mm -hmm. when I got married. And you're like, yeah, well, it was the 1940s and you were, or whatever, and you were 20, in your 20s. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. A, I'm in my 40s. And B, yeah, I'm just not a size four. But my grandma, you know, I remember I found her dress that she wore to my mom's wedding and it's this beautiful dress. And I gave it to a friend mm -hmm. who is a size very, she's very small and looks great in vintage clothing. And because I remember my grandma said, like, you'll never, she wasn't mean, but she just said, you'll never fit in that. And mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I know. I know. I know. Only one leg is going to get in that. I won't be able to get over that one thigh. And she just meant yeah, it's just too small for you. And I said, I know, but I wanted to sh show you that I found it. It's so beautiful and it's yeah. still in really good condition. And a friend sent me a picture of them wearing it on my wedding day just uh -huh. for fun. They like, oh, they, either they had tried it on that week or whatever, and they sent it to me and it was so pretty. I was like, oh, there's my grandma's dress that she wore to my mom's wedding. And you look great in it because you're, you're narrower, you're smaller. Anyway, that was a tangent, but about size. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But um, hey, human beings are bigger all across the board. Yeah, you know because of better nutrition. Yeah, and yeah, hormones and all that stuff. Yeah. So that's unfair. But also, you look back at at the standard of beauty at different times. It yeah. wasn't always skinny. It no. was look at Ruben Rubens and the Rubenesque women, and right. even what is it the right before the turn of the century where um, weight equaled affluence because mm -hmm. it meant you had enough to eat. Yeah, so that was considered sexy. So. What is sexy is all depending upon the trends and what's considered sexy, rather. I, my whole life, being an actress and being judged on it, people actually saying to me, well, we have to talk about the elephant in the room and me knowing that the elephant in the room was me. <laughs> I'm not kidding about that. But, but that I judged myself for not being beautiful. I said I wasn't beautiful because I wasn't thin enough. And let me tell you, I have never had a man turn down big boobs or a big butt. Yeah, like, right. It's ridiculous. We put these constraints. Women are taught to be their best selves. They have to make themselves as small as possible. And men, to be the best versions of themselves, have to be big. Hmm. Why are they big and we're tiny? We disappear. Yeah. Yeah. That's another tangential. <laughs> That's, ah, over there. You talk in the book about 
being with your mom the day that she died, mm-hmm. um, which is such an incredible chapter, and brushing her hair. And I just remember it, and I wanted to come back to it today. But you said, my mother cries as I tell her I love her because she's been looking for love and forgiveness her whole life from her mother, from the reserved men she married, perhaps especially from me. Maybe now she finally understands just how loved she truly is, how much I need her, how much I have always needed her. I hope my words give her peace and that she cries with me. I love it. You're going to make me cry now. Yeah. I was also, I remember reading that section feeling, sometimes I talk on the mic with people about like jealousy of like, oh, you got to have that. Mm. I wish I had that. Or must be nice. You got to have closure or whatever. Mm-hmm. And yet, like I chose not, I didn't want to be around my mom in those final, in her final days. And I didn't know, I didn't know she was going, but I knew subconsciously she was going. Yeah. And I let her caretaker do it. Mm-hmm. And I always think, is that a cop out of me? And my guilt. No. Mm-mm. Yeah. And you made a you made a choice to be there. Would, would you have done it any other way? No. I. It was a gift for me to be able to be there, but it was also trauma. Yeah. You know, I wasn't there when Tom died. I was supposed to be at his house and at our house and her dad. This is daddy. Dad. Yeah. Yeah. But I wanted to stay back in Chicago and hang with my, my then boyfriend, now husband. Oh, and didn't go that week. And then that's the week that he died. So I had tremendous guilt because, gosh, maybe he wouldn't have died if I had been there. Or also relief because I wasn't there mm-hmm. because what would I have done? And so I have guilt about that. But where, where we're supposed to be, I guess, for me and my mom, we had such a fractured, complicated relationship that this was healing for me. <laughs> we couldn't really talk. Even at the very end, we couldn't have real conversations. We had a conversation about Glenn Campbell and, and Tammy Wynette, but we couldn't talk about the real stuff. So the act of service to be there in the room was really important to me. Mm-hmm. Because if Words won't work, then maybe physical presence right. will. Right, brushing her hair, yeah. sitting next to her. But we weren't, like, physically affectionate in mm. life either. So even that was like, oh, my gosh, can I touch her? Wow. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Will she allow it? Yeah. Well, she's she's in a coma, practically. She has to, <laughs> she has to allow it. Yeah. <laughs> you have no choice, Mom. Yeah. Was she grateful you were there? I don't know. I mean. You don't know. She She couldn't really. Yeah communicate at that yeah. point. I think so. I mean, I know she was glad I was there before she went to the hospital. Right. So, right. But we, it was coming out of the surgery is, right? Uh, yeah, that was, yeah. yeah, we had that, I write about that in the book, where she, she wasn't coherent and she, the one, the thing that I do remember was when she sat up and reached out to somebody that wasn't in the room. Mm-hmm. Like as if she was asking them to take her and repeating the Lord's Prayer, which I never knew my mother to be a religious woman. Yeah, and yeah. For her to just do that over and over and over again. And you'd never seen her do that before. No, no. Say, pray for me, Corey. Pray for Ernie. Like, oh, okay. It's just, it was crazy. <laughs> but 
I also love there's a chapter called Fuck, which <laughs> yeah. I also forgot about. <laughs> I was like, oh, right. I, I'm not afraid of the swear words. When you're singing your mother's soul to heaven, your final performance for her, mm-hmm. do you remember that tune? And is that something you could potentially sing or mm-hmm. play for me now? Yeah. Actually, that just... song is so special to me. There's two of them. Okay. Sang. So, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Well, do you want me to talk about them? Yeah. First. I'd love, yeah, a little backstory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wrote in the book on the, the margins, I wrote, gorgeous, I'm sobbing. Me, Dana. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're talking about her heart stops beating mm-hmm. after you're singing. Does Who is Mark again? I, Mark was the nurse. Thank you. Because mm-hmm. it was like he touches your shoulder and he says, she's gone. And you say, but I will finish that song as her soul makes its final ascent to God knows where. And um, and just like that, it is done. And then the rest of your story begins. You have to buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> so the story about singing her to heaven. I did a show here in Chicago, Ring of Fire, in which yes. I played June Carter Cash. and That was uh, with Greg, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And... In the show, uh, there's a point where we're singing Far Side Banks of Jordan, which is, of course, crossing over to heaven. And uh, metaphorically, in the show, Johnny and I were singing to each other, and I stood up with my auto harp and uh-huh. uh, stood and turned around and sang the last line to him across the stage and then left the stage and died, essentially. If I didn't trip, sometimes I tripped up the stairs and was... Not so touching, <laughs> but it was this beautiful moment. It was it, it it was so beautifully staged and simple and gorgeous. So we're in the hospital, and I know we're going to. We've turned off the machines, and she's going to pass, and everybody's silent. And I know I have to sing, and I'm scared to do it because I know when I get emotional, I can't sing. Mm-hmm. And but I started to sing. Will the circle be unbroken? Um, which I will I will play for you. Because that's a song about dying and seeing your loved ones on the other side and and the circle of life going on and, and uh, family and love. And so I sang that, and she was still with us. Hmm. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm thinking of all these songs. Well, she's favorite musical is Mamma Mia. Can't sing that. That's really weird. And, <laughs> you know, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then I remembered Farside Banks of Jordan. So I started to sing the song. And... At the point in which, in the show in Chicago, in which I stood up and turned around and sang my last song, my last line to Johnny Cash and died, she did the exact damn same thing. At the same moment that I did it on stage, she died at the moment in the song when I was singing it to her in the hospital room. I ain't you can't. You can't write this stuff. Yeah. I mean, like, not that she knew the show or knew oh, wow. that that happened. So did that happen because on some spiritual level that was meant for me? Mm. I I don't know. But it was truly profound. And I'm not speaking about it articulately. No, yeah, no. I get it. I couldn't believe it. So I made an album that, that corresponds mm-hmm. to this book. And I wrote to Terry Smith, who wrote that song, and asked if I could use it and use it in the book. and. You got permission? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And uh, I told him the story, and he wrote me back. Now, we have this lovely correspondence in which we're writing back and forth. And he, I sent him a copy of the book, and he said, my someone very important in my life just went through this same damn thing. Mm. And I gave them the book and, and read it. And 
with d- said, about DNA discovery. Yeah. And, yeah. and they said, how is this woman in my head? <laughs> because there are those commonalities, too. Yep. Yeah. So that song is, has been just a gift in my yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I love that your mom, like, knew the blocking. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. yeah she's a good actress. She knew. <laughs> this is the she moment. Hit marks. <laughs> she hit her marks. Um, weird, though. That is so weird. Yeah. Do you want me to play it? Yeah. I love it. All right. Let's see. Fascinating podcast uh, material right here. <laughs> Tuning the Tuning guitar. Tuning the guitar. It's, my, it's the first time a guitar has been in here. Yeah. So this is very exciting. I believe my steps are growing wearier each day. Got another journey on my mind. Lures of this old world have ceased to make me want to stay. And my one regret is leaving you behind. If it proves to be his will, then I am first to cross. Somehow I have a feeling it will be When it comes your time to travel, likewise, don't feel lost. For I will be the first one that you see. And I'll be waiting on the far side banks of Jordan. I'll be sitting, drawing pictures in the sand. And when I see you coming, I will rise up with a shout And come running through the shallow waters, reaching for your hand How does it feel singing it today, after this conversation, sitting here with me? Does it feel different? I'm sad that... Part of me wonders if she had to keep that secret because she thought that I would judge her. And I wish hmm. she had known that I wouldn't have, that I would have been proud of her, that that I am proud of her. That kind of kills me a little bit, that, that this shame, she died with this shame just all in her heart. Yeah. Will you tell us your mom's full name? You pretty much just told us how you feel about her right now in this moment. But Ernest? if there's anything you want to add, but I'd love to hear her full name while you hold that guitar. Uh, yeah. Ernestine Emma Esslinger Hyatt Goodrich Perkins. Whoa. <laughs> everybody, <Ernest>. always, everybody <laughs> always adds stuff that I am surprised by, but I must say that's the longest one. Tell me that again. <laughs> Ernestine Emma Esslinger Hyatt Goodrich Perkins. So Ernestine Emma. Oh, and there's, you know what? There's something in the, that's not in the book. I will tell you right okay. now. Ernestine Emma Esslinger. That's her born name. So here's the thing about E-E-E. So when we were writing her obituary, we have to put her full name. Yeah. And, uh, and we had a discrepancy because we didn't know if her middle name was Emma or Eileen. Uh-huh. And in preparation for this, when, before she went to the hospital, I'm like, well, so what's your middle name anyway? And 
She said Emma. And uh, I said, but what about Eileen? Because Eileen is on her birth certificate. Oh. On her driver's license when she died. It's Emma. So I said, what's what's with this Eileen? Is it like a... Like, what's it, going on over here? <laughs> yeah. Like a like a saint name or something? Yeah. And she's like, yeah, something like that. Again, wouldn't tell me the story. So we still do not know why or when it went from Eileen to Emma. But she changed her middle name. Wow. Herself. That's weird. It is weird. But she didn't explain it. No. No. Because that's my mother. That's your mom. Little breadcrumbs. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's Ernie. So back to my vibrator. Uh, My magic wand vibrator does make me cry. I mean, not always, but there is, whether fast or short, an intense, immediate emotional release. I'm not alone in this, right? There is an intimacy there, unlike anything else on the planet, of giving yourself that pleasure alone. The act of listening and giving your body something it craves, letting your imagination run wild, slowing down, and releasing breath. It is all release. And my emotions come flooding out, sometimes happiness, sometimes intense shame, sometimes longing, sometimes ecstasy, but it's all a release. Fantasizing about people on the White Lotus TV show is one thing, and I'm Team Ethan, but sometimes I think of former lovers, of actors I've been in shows with, of friends of friends, because I'm human, and I know I'm not alone in that. And hi, husband, if you're listening, I also fantasize about you. And I wonder if my mom, you knew this was coming, felt this release in those later years of her life, like when her body was in crippling pain, when her feet tingled so bad they burned, and the battery in her back wasn't working anymore and she could barely stand up. I know she loved watching reruns of Sex in the City, And maybe, I don't know, maybe that got her juices going again. And the foot massager, in quotes, was by her bed. I I used to recommend medical marijuana to her for her pain, which she never took. She just stuck to the big dogs like Oxycontin and Vicodin. But I wish I had suggested the massager instead. My mom cried all the time for no warning, so I'm sure this type of release would be no different for her. But I like to think she would be smiling while crying with this type of release and relishing and remembering what this feels like, this pleasure, something she might not have felt for many years, like a long distant friend coming back into your life and reminding you what connection and happiness can feel like. Pleasure. But hey, what she did in that bedroom is her business, and for all I know, her foot massager might have been her best friend. Nothing distant about it. Thanks again for loving and listening to this podcast. I hope to talk to you in 2023. But until then, be well, check on the people you love and tell them you love them. Tell them now. Tell them today. And then go to our website. It's so cheesy. It's like, and then, and then go to our website, danablack.org. And please sign up for our newsletters. I promise they're fun. They're sassy. It's a lot of old pictures of me as a kid, sassy comments about my 95-year-old grandma, and updates about the podcast. But if you sign up now, 
you can get updates around the next Mother's Grave retreat, which will go live in February of 2023. Next summer in June, we are going to sell a four-day, three-nights experience in cute cottages on the lake outside Chicago, Illinois, so that you can be in a safe community with other people who have lost a parent, either through death or estrangement. We are going to build mandalas on the beach together. We're going to storytell. We're going to do body work and massage. We're going to eat good food. We're going to have a dance party. We're going to meditate. We're going to build an altar together. We're going to go on walks and we're going to rest and we're going to laugh a lot. So a past retreat participant from this past October's retreat, the first ever Mother's Grave retreat, said that this retreat experience was one of the most healing and needed experiences of their adult life. And they wish they could go back every month. So be sure to sign up for emails at danablack.org so you don't miss the announcement when it goes live in early 2023. We are selling eight spots. So I hope that you will be one of them. Before I go, I wanted to play you a song that Corey said she wrote three months after her mother died. She was blocked artistically and emotionally and couldn't write anything. And then one day, this song came to her. It's called Unspoken. And this is the version from her full album called Long Way Around. You can listen to the whole album at a link in our show notes. I will miss talking to you, friends. Be well and stay in touch. Because remember, I'm just pantsless in a closet making content alone. And I love hearing from you. Until next time. i
to heal my heart once it's been broken When there are secrets that you keep And there are lies you learn to tell It breaks your The second season of I Swear in My Mother's Grave podcast would never be possible without our editor, Amanda Roscoe Mayo, our music composer, Adam Ollendorf, our graphic designer and illustrator, Meredith Montgomery, and our copywriter, Rachel Claff. Thanks as well to Tony Howell and Austin Heller for all their work on the website and to Heather Bodie for her emotional, spiritual, social, and physical, well, for, for all the help. Thank you. And to all of you, thank you for listening, subscribing, reaching out, and just being a part of this community. I'm so grateful you're here. And if you haven't signed up for our newsletter, you can do so at our website, which is danablack.org. You can hear all about this incredible season and some upcoming live events we're curating just for you. I hope you'll come back. Come back, come back. Don't leave me like my dead mom. You know what I mean? Come back. Talk to you soon. <laughs>